0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments That Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson, and tonight our guests will be Dr. Mark Kern from Addiction Alternatives in Los Angeles, California, and Renee Franklin, who is from Women for Sobriety. Before we start, I'm going to do a little blurb for our website and for our book. Um, Our organization is the Hams Harm Reduction Network. We are a free-of-charge lay-led support group for anyone who wants to make a positive change in their drinking, from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether. Our website is hamsnetwork.org. Our book is called How to Change Your Drinking, a Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. You can get it on Amazon.com. For more information about the book, you can go to hamsnetwork.org. Our first guest tonight is Dr. Mark Kern who's uh, the founder of Addiction Alternatives. It's an alternative treatment program that's uh, in Los Angeles, California. He's been uh, working in alternatives to 12-step programs for many years now. Good evening, Mark. How are you doing tonight?
1: Real good, Ken. Uh, Thanks for having
0: me. Thanks for coming. Tell us a little bit about your program and what you do with Addiction Alternatives.
1: Well, Addiction Alternatives has been around for 25 years. I do... Uh, harm reduction sort of work, uh, either in person or. Uh, of the last few years, I've been doing a lot of the, uh, harm reduction work over the phone through the internet, uh, you know, to various places, uh, you know, throughout the world where people really don't have access to, you know, professionals who 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 work from the from a harm reduction uh, model.
0: So what inspired you to uh, get into doing something other than the 12 steps?
1: Oh, that's a long story. But, but the you know, the truth is I had a very severe alcohol and drug problem. I was an architect, and I was a, a fraternity member. And by the time I graduated uh, Ohio State University, I had a, a degree in architecture, but I had a very serious alcohol and uh, primarily set, uh central nervous system depressant drug addiction, uh, and uh, getting into this field was, was you know like 12-stepping it it was a way of me helping myself and, uh, in, and therefore I have sort of a you know a very intimate understanding and, and passion for this field and really want to help people um, and I don't like the word recover but you know function better in the world
0: mm-hmm. Did you try conventional 12-step treatments
1: uh, at first? Well, yes and no. I mean, all my early advisors, uh, parents included, you know, sent me to some AA meetings and some therapists and some things like that, and they all recommended 12-step. But I don't want to tell my real age, but in in my day, it it was almost like where I was uh, growing up or... uh, at Ohio State and Detroit, where where my family was, were, AA was not as big of a, a phenomenon as it is, is today, or or was ten years ago. But I did try, you know, a bit. I you know went to meetings, you know, okay, a dozen meetings, but it literally never made sense. I was had just graduated with a degree in architecture, and architecture teaches you how to build things and it, be empowered and Creative and twelve step just didn't jive with the years of training I had just gone through.
0: So, what uh, were some of the things that you did to overcome the problems that you were having with drugs and alcohol?
1: Well, primarily, you know, it, it's it's a it was sort of a do it yourself uh, little piece here, a little piece there. Um, obviously, I I went back to school, which was a Big big deal. I I had never taken a psychology class in my whole life, and I had to go to a, back to undergraduate school, and, and then I went ultimately to graduate school, and got my PhD. Um, but even in graduate school, back in the days, uh, they didn't really teach you know the students about addiction. Uh, they you know they 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 you know scooted it off the table and said send them to twelve step, and it didn't make sense. So. I even had to sort of self-educate myself in graduate school about uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, about uh, alternatives, and I actually taught a couple of classes, not, not full uh, semester classes, but on new approaches to ad- recovery or alternative approaches because even the school I went to didn't um, seem to know very much about addictions.
0: Yeah, I think in those days almost everyone that was an addictions counselor got a certificate from a specialized program that was not even a university program usually. Right,
1: I, I there there are very few certifications even today for anything other than 12 step based sort of training uh, uh in California there's different uh credentials you can get and every state probably has other credentials, but the but the education they receive in those programs is 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 like 30 to 50 years old. It, it, it does not represent the evidence-based approaches or the, you know, the harm reduction more humanistic approaches.
0: Yeah, I think that's true in most places. I'm very fortunate that I was able to go to the new school and study psychology and substance abuse and they're talking about all these new things of cognitive behavioral therapy and motivational interviewing and harm reduction. So there are some progressive places around, but I think they're
1: probably few and far between. Yes, I mean, I just spoke with someone not more than 10 minutes ago who is going for their certificate at UCLA, and they're not talking about harm reduction or evidence-based programs or even smart recovery at UCLA. And, you know, that's a major university. And, you know, you actually have to go outside the class to Really learn about what's what
0: you know what the research says mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what are some of the options that you offer to people that come to you?
1: Well, I offer literally you know a spectrum of sort of
0: options uh
1: in the sense that you know i'm I'm far from a believer in one size fits all so it it really st- i start where the client's at i i say well where do, what do you want Where do you want to go? And I'll work with people, you know, uh, 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 toward, you know, modifying uh, substance use, uh, various addictive-like behaviors, um, of course, alcohol, um, and in trying to teach them basically how to be better managers of these repetitive behaviors. Uh, I'm not as, uh, I don't ask for abstinence and most of the people that come to me don't even want abstinence, but you know, I will give them tools and techniques and strategies and uh support groups depending on what their desired goals are. Uh I really believe that people have the right to, you know, live a life that they choose and not uh you know, be told how they should you know should they be able to uh I, I take the morality out of substance use and other types of addictions.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy. Are there some cognitive behavioral tools that you uh, teach people about that you'd like to tell us about?
1: Well, of course, the the, the single most important one is the ABCs that uh, that uh, Albert Ellis uh, developed. At least in my mind, and, and you know, for your listeners, you know, A stands for an activating of Event B stands for belief, and C stands for the consequences. And I teach people that A does not cause C. A, for example, could be I broke up with my girlfriend, and C would be I went out and drank. And it's not breaking up with your girlfriend that caused you to drink, but rather the beliefs about A, about breaking up, and that that cause people to turn to alcohol or other, uh, you know, uh, addictive behaviors to cope with C. But But that's the single most important, at least in my mind, cognitive behavioral strategy. But I also do a lot of DBT, dialectical behavior therapy. Mm -hmm. And particularly I I focus on things like uh, uh, affect tolerance. And what I just mean by that is what I call developing emotional muscle. And that's nothing more than teaching people how to tolerate feeling shitty. You know, so much of a drug and alcohol and addictions are really self-medication attempts that have gone awry. And I teach people how to feel bored and lonely and reframe all the feelings not in a way so people don't need to avoid them with the, their elixirs, but rather learn to roll with them and learn to be okay with them. Not great, but uh, meaning... Nobody likes to be bored, but it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. It's okay to feel uncomfortable.
0: Mm -hmm. I want to go back to the ABCs a little bit. I think the ABCs are a really good tool. And so B is beliefs, and it's the beliefs about the activating events that determine your reactions, the consequent actions. So what can you do about your beliefs?
1: Well, most people assume that beliefs are, are are like chiseled in concrete, that, they're, they're, that beliefs are truths. And more often than not, most of these beliefs were formed early in one's life, were formed based on uh, peculiar situations. So th- there's a tremendous amount of massaging that I can do and that an individual can do about their beliefs. Their beliefs... Often have never been examined from a an adult perspective, their beliefs about you know about the the pain that the activating event caused so about their ability to tolerate it or the meaning of the activating event. All these kinds of bees or beliefs can be modified if brought to sort of the modern uh, light of the day in their adult life and all of us have experienced this phenomenon, this ABC phenomenon. I'm sure everyone who's listening has had an opportunity where they thought uh, or they felt about somebody uh, they didn't like somebody, for example, and the reason why they didn't like them was their beliefs. And then they learned something new, like the person had a, you know, some sort of tragedy, and their beliefs changed. And they, by noticing that. Their feelings about that individual change. We go; beliefs are constantly evolving and changing. And I just speed up the process and make it much more focused about those beliefs.
0: Well, I know Alice also talked about D, disputing the beliefs and beliefs like "I right. am a loser," "I am a hopeless person," or "I am an alcoholic," and all these labels we put on. Ourselves are things that he would encourage people to dispute and say, no, you're not a loser. Maybe something bad happened, but that doesn't make you a loser.
1: Correct. Uh, It really, it's not really the ABCs, it's the ABCDEs, and you're talking about the Ds now. So what Albert Ellis would do, and I would be to take those beliefs and dispute them. And generally speaking, most people, if you st- you know start looking at these beliefs, anything that has a should a must, a have to an awful to it are irrational or illogical, and that 's where you start disputing the the truth behind those beliefs. The beliefs that you 've heretofore assumed were accurate often don't uh, stand, you know, a chance when you look at it logically or or reasonably. And it's habitual to think that way, but it's not truth, And, you know, there's a difference
0: there. Okay. Now, I know that you're a co-author of the book Responsible Drinking. Do you want to talk a little bit about that book?
1: Sure, responsible drinking uh, was the uh, work of me and Fred Rogers. It was the it's the sort of the the textbook of the program moderation management. Responsible drinking is a very similar to your book. I mean, to be frank, uh, and the goal is to teach people how to cope better with drinking situations, how to be more responsible. And many of the principles I teach individually, or on the phone, or you teach, or I even hear about on this radio show, are in the Responsible Drinking Book, and people can, you know, pick it up. Uh, in fact, I got a, a check from the publisher recently. It's 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 gaining, you know, uh, some recognition that not everybody with a drinking problem is an alcoholic, whatever that even means, and that this that responsible drinking for most people or for many people can be acquired if they become more conscious about their drinking, the relationship with alcohol, triggers, and as such.
0: Yeah, I always tell people that they don't have to try and decide whether or not they're an alcoholic. That's really an irrelevant question. They should ask what's going to work for them best. Will it work best to quit drinking or will it work best to cut back? Or will it work best to be a safer drinker? And I say, you know, think in terms of those.
1: Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And in fact, there is a lot of danger in, in, in my mind anyway, as a psychologist, to call oneself an alcoholic. First of all, as a professional, we don't even know what that really means. It's not in the you know the professional literature anymore. And it, it it carries with it a, a whole set of Bs, beliefs, or assumptions that are unproven. And, you know, like one drink and one drunk. Science has not supported that hypothesis, and yet that's supposedly part of being an alcoholic.
0: Yeah, that was Alan Marlett did some experiments about that and found that, you know, if people believed that they were drinking a non-alcoholic beverage, it didn't matter if there was alcohol
1: in it. That's correct. He did a lot of research. And, and conversely, he gave alcoholics a, a, a beverage that they thought was alcohol, and they acted alcoholically. And so, professionally, now we look at a lot of these beliefs and these terms like alcoholism as sort of uh, labels that really have, you know, are the drinking pattern. Comes out of uh, a set of assumptions of what one does when one drinks or uh, or, or is an alcoholic, rather than true, you know, biological uh, actions or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's sad to know that we just recently lost Alan uh, for your listeners. That he recently died. He was is he was quite a quite a man.
0: Yes, uh we're very grateful Alan uh, wrote a preface to our harm reduction book. So um he was on our advisory board. Uh, you know, I missed him very much. Actually, he had he had scheduled uh to be a guest on the show like 2 weeks before he died.
1: Oh, really? That would have been great. I mean, uh there there's a number of audios that are out there uh for your listeners to uh Google search and especially one he did recently on on habits was just outstanding.
0: Yeah, I heard some great uh, audio with uh, Alan Marla. Uh, one was oh, with Chris Schroeder. I can't remember his uh, the name of his show right now, but uh, he did some really good audios that are out there on the web.
1: Yeah, you know, Alan really broke through on a on a professional level. All this, excuse my language, bullshit about alcohol and addiction and you know notions that you know have kept our society back you know uh, as opposed to Europe and Canada and other places that have moved well into the harm reduction models and 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 and, and you know moderate drinking models for example
0: yeah it's just not all black and white there just does not this class of people that are alcoholics and the class of people that are non-alcoholics and the non-alcoholics never get in trouble and the alcoholics are always progressing down to death.
1: Right, even that progression notion has not been substantiated by the research. As as an analogy, I, I tell people they're not, you know, I look at light switches and I say, are you a light switch that, you know, you can flip up or flip down? No, you're more like a dimmer. And what we're trying to do is sort of, you know, maybe, you know, rotate it a little bit. And it's not helpful to think of yourself in black and white terms.
0: Yeah, there's a whole continuum of uh, different problems that people can have with alcohol, from really mild problems to really major problems.
1: And they can change as a function of age. They can change as a function of, you know, life uh, stressors. So it's not a, a static phenomenon over a course of one's life's lifetime. Yeah, it's, it's not
0: digital. Right. It's not yeah.
1: digital. It's analog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there there is so much bullshit floating out there about alcohol, alcoholism, who's an alcoholic, and the term is used as if they know... People are being called alcoholics as if they know what that term means, and even the professionals don't even know what the term means.
0: Well, it's really become a new scarlet letter to uh, hang around people's necks sometimes.
1: Right. <laughs> I only see the, the atheists
0: with a big A on them lately. <laughs> uh, I mean, people are always getting, you know, if you're mad at somebody, and you don't like their behavior, that's a new name to call somebody. You're alcoholic. Right, right, rather
1: than you know you know again there's there's terms but but even the terms don't characterize it, and you know what's going on in that individual's life right now you know the research continues to show that most people, not everybody, but most people grow out of problems with alcohol
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. It's, you know. it, it's not like they're in college for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Their drinking behavior.
0: And I see this, um, you know, with husbands and wives, or with friends, or you know, when there's they have disputes. Instead of resolving it, it's like you're an alcoholic; it's all your fault, and there's no attempt, you know, at communication. It's like the new way to, you know, put up the wall and, with someone.
1: Right. It, it stops dialogue, and to take that one step further, it often. You know uh you know destroys marriages it it often asks the spouse, the significant other to accept the disease notion and to disengage, and that's not going to bring a couple back together, and even if alcohol is problematic, it's not going to be solved by by labeling somebody and turning your back on them.
0: no, not at all. Well, I see that our next guest is here, so thank you very much, Mark, for being our guest tonight. Uh, Talk to you again soon sometime.
1: And thank you, Ken, so much for doing this and for helping getting the word out. And if anybody wants to talk, they can go to the Addiction Alternative site and there's mechanisms for them to reach me.
0: Yes, so... Go to Google, Google Mark Kern, or Google Addiction Alternatives. Go to this site. It's a great site, lots of great information. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Ken. And now I'm going to do a little plug for our website and our book. Our uh, website is hamsnetwork.org. We are free of charge, lay-led support group for people who want to make any positive change in their drinking, from reduced drinking to safer drinking to quitting altogether. Our book is How to Change Your Drinking: A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. It's available on Amazon. I'm going to bring our next guest on. Our next, I'm going to introduce our next guest, Renee Franklin from Women from Sobriety, Women for Sobriety, who is a trained moderator. I think she leads groups. She will tell us more about this. I'm going to bring her on the air right now. Hello, Renee. Good evening. How are you doing tonight?
2: I'm doing okay. And yourself?
0: I'm doing very good. Uh tell us a little bit about what is Women for Sobriety.
2: Women for Sobriety is a self help program. We're um national and it was designed by Women for Women.
0: And uh, well I know this was founded by Jean Kirkpatrick uh in the seventies, I believe. Yes. And why did she think that women needed a different group than men?
2: Well, because studies had shown that recovery rates for male alcoholics were much higher than women, so women were harder to treat.
0: And did she feel they needed a different approach than men?
2: Yes. And, therefore, she came up with the Women for Sobriety Program, the 13 affirmations, um, that focused on the positive rather than the negative of the disease.
0: Okay. And uh, so 13 affirmations. Uh, What are some of the affirmations? Can you tell us?
2: Uh, The first one is I have a life-threatening problem that once had me. Um, My favorite is number nine, the past is gone forever. Um, Enthusiasm is my daily exercise. Um, One of the probably the most important for women is number 12, which is I'm a competent woman and I have much to give life.
0: Okay, do you want to expand on any of these in more detail? Um, wi-
2: women generally, we're conditioned to take care of everybody else but ourselves. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you take statements, say statement 11, enthusiasm is my daily exercise, because we're so conditioned and used to taking care of everybody else and we forget ourselves, we have to, in order to stay sober, you have to learn to take care of yourself. It's called self-care. I call it self-care. And it, that's a tough thing for women. Okay. Because we're wives and we're mothers and we take care of everyone else but us.
0: Okay. So Women for Sobriety is about uh, helping people to, helping women to concentrate more on taking care of themselves. How long, yes. have, you been, how long have you been involved with Women for Sobriety?
2: I've been sober 11 years, and I've been involved with the program for 10.
0: And uh, you're a moderator, I believe? You lead meetings?
2: Yes. Yes. So Our meetings are structured differently than the AA meetings in that we have a moderator that directs the meeting and makes sure that the meeting stays on topic because women like to talk, mm-hmm. so that it's their job to make sure that everybody stays on topic. Um, cross-talk is allowed at our meetings. It's encouraged. That's how we learn. Mm-hmm. And and tell, us a little
0: more. Yeah, tell us a little more about what a typical meeting might be like, if there's such a thing as a typical meeting, but well, what might be going on?
2: Um, the moderator uh, introduces herself and, and, you know, welcomes the new people if there are new members that show up that particular night. Um, we start off every meeting with stating your name and that you're a competent woman. So for me, it would be I'm Renee and I'm a competent woman.
0: So you don't call yourself an alcoholic?
2: No. I'm a competent woman.
0: Well, that sounds good to me. That sounds like... <laughs>
2: And we go around the room and, and each woman states something that they had done positive in the last week.
0: Oh, that's really
2: good. I didn't know and that. And then generally we have a topic that's discussed.
3: Well, what are we some topics?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, the, a lot of the topics are statements, um, relapse prevention, um, ways to to think positive, um, if uh certain member's having problems or issues that gets discussed and we try and help that person through that that particular time in their life. And to me that that's what I get out of A or Women for Sobriety versus AA. Okay. So it's the positivity and in, in the interaction with other women that have been there with me and can help me through it.
0: Okay, it sounds really great. I mean, it's great to have a really positive program, and I think it's really important. I see so many people that, you know, they already say negative things about themselves. They don't need to hear more negativity about them. It's not going to help them make positive changes.
2: Correct. Exactly. I, I already know what I did wrong. Okay. I uh, want to change the behavior, and I want to be able to work on something that will make it better okay. and that's what we do by having topics and things that are discussed
0: do you have some do you have some books and some literature out there
2: uh yep go to womenforsobriety.org um Jean kirkpatrick has written three books i believe three or four goodbye hangovers turnabout and a fresh start
0: so, what are some of the things in the books in the literature? Can you tell us some of the things in them?
2: Um, let's see. You have Goodbye Hangovers, Hello Life up there. That one is, it it talks about Jean's um, Jean Kirkpatrick's journey with starting the program and, and promoting it. it. It's a really interesting book. Um, there's a lot of th- I hear from a lot of our members how they can identify with a lot of what she talks about in the book from
0: a woman's perspective. Yeah, I read that book um, 10 or 15 years ago now, um, but I found it uh, really interesting and useful because um, it put such a positive spin on many things. Yes. And I thought that was really important. I mean, I had uh, been through 12-step type rehab and, had really had a lot of negativity put on me, and it wasn't helping. It was actually, you know, making me drink more. I needed something that was more positive. So I found actually a lot of good out of reading Gene uh, Kirkpatrick's books because they dwelt on the positive instead of on the negative and, and what a terrible person I was.
2: Right. As some of the the, the, the writings that... A lot of the members have have written over the years. There's one uh, that I particularly like, and it states, if we are capable, we must be true to ourselves. If we are competent, we must be successful in our own eyes. If we are caring, we must be good to ourselves. If we are compassionate, we must take care of ourselves. If we are willing to help another, we must be spreading positive energy to ourselves and to others.
0: This sounds really good. Um I just brought up uh, the New Life Acceptance Program online here. I- I'm going to give them to you and ask you if you can expand on them a little bit from your experience. we talked a little bit about one. Do you want to talk more about one? I have a life-threatening problem that once had me.
2: I now take charge of my life and my disease. That That's you have to accept the fact that you you do have a disease and that you there are things you're going to have to do to take care of it throughout the rest of your life and and that's to me that's the foundation of of recovery mm-hmm. when you're in true recovery versus just sobriety or being the dry drunk mm-hmm. is you have to accept this is what i am
0: okay this is number 2 here negative thoughts destroy only myself
2: Negative thoughts are—they're are, disastrous for us. We beat up on ourselves enough as it is.
0: I think and negative. hmm Keep going. Keep, go ahead. Go ahead.
2: And then, then to keep reliving those things, it, it to me, it's like a catch-22.
0: Yeah, I think negative thoughts are just disastrous to everyone. Basically, Uh Mark and I were talking about that a little bit earlier in the show about how. uh It's important to help people start thinking positively about themselves and stop, you know, having all these negative beliefs that, you know, keep, like, they keep them down. The more people tell themselves that, you know, they're bad, it's really harmful for them. Yes. Let's see. Number three here is happiness is a habit I will develop. Hello, I think we just lost our caller here. I'm going to go through these a little bit more. Um, I think she might call back. Seems to have dropped out. So happiness is a habit I will develop. Happiness is created, uh, not waited for. Number four of the uh, affirmations from women of sobriety is problems bother me only to the degree I permit them to. and. I now better understand my problems and do not permit problems to overwhelm me. Five says, I am what I think. I am capable, competent, caring, compassionate woman. Hello, Renee.
2: Hello.
0: I think you got cut off there for a minute.
2: Yeah, but for some reason the call was dropped.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I was uh, reading through some of these a little bit more, but uh, um, which one were we talking about? We were talking about number three, happiness is a habit I will develop. I think we were on three. What what do you feel about that? Do you find
2: that? It's not just women, it's for everybody. We have to consciously make an effort to do, in order for you to be happy, you you do what you want to do. Correct? There, it's not going to be handed to you.
0: That's you have to right. go and
2: work for it. Absolutely. And it takes commitment and and actually getting up off your butt and making it happen. That's, Nobody's going to do it for you.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Mm-hmm. How about number four? Let's see. Number four. Problems bother me only to the degree I permit them to.
2: Yes. That's it. That's the that to me the single most hardest thing to do in the program for women for sobriety is is to not let problems bother you. And for women it's really hard because we're so emotional. Mhm. Mm-hmm.
0: But it's uh it's about taking control of your own thoughts and your own mind and saying, you know, I know this is a problem, but I have other things to do. I won't let bother me. Is is that right?
2: Well, it, you you do, do, I was taught by wonderful women in the program many, many years ago that you take a problem and you sum it up in five words or less. Oh, and if those five words do not contain me, my, or I, it's not my problem.
0: <laughs> that sounds good.
2: <laughs> Works great. <laughs> <laughs> How
0: about number five, I am what I think. How do you relate to this one?
2: This one, I had to keep telling myself over and over and over and over for for this one that I am what I think. Because here we go with the the beliefs and and the negativity and what people tell us and what society tells us in trying to combat that.
0: Yeah, and the the subtitle under number five, I am what I think, says, I am a capable, caring, compassionate woman. Yes, So I
2: it's am? about. Mm-hmm. Um, have Have you ever had started off the day where where it, it started off kind of crappy, didn't go in the right, right direction? Oh yeah. And you're standing there and you're going, "This just is not going to be my day."
0: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Flip that around and imagine what it would be like if if you did the positive mm-hmm. of that. Instead of saying, oh, I dropped the coffee cup and getting (laughs) angry over it, just kind of shrug the shoulders, brush it up into a dustpan, and continue on with your day. There's no negativity there.
0: Okay, sounds good. Okay, number six, life can be ordinary or it can be great.
2: Greatness is mine by a conscious effort. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, this this I put this together with um, happiness. I will is a habit I will develop. Again, it's something that you have to actually do for yourself. Nobody's going to hand it to you.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and
2: as again, as women, we were conditioned to take care of everybody else except for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, number seven. Love can change the course of my world.
2: You get out of recovery what you put into it. If you put nothing into it, you're going to get nothing out. So if you can change and start being more caring and allowing those feelings to come out more, they do return.
0: Okay. And number eight, the fundamental object of life is emotional and spiritual growth.
2: That, that, that it, it helps put things, your your life in per, per, into perspective when you grow.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it says daily I put my life into a proper order, knowing which are the priorities. And I uh, well, look at number nine now. The past is gone forever.
2: No longer will I be victimized by the past. I am a new person. Um, this is probably one of my is my favorite. Um, I get reminded again when in early for me in early recovery we, we get reminded enough of what what we did, all of the lying and all the drinking and the hiding or or all the things that we shouldn't have been doing, mm-hmm. that to be able to let go of that and say okay I can't change what happened in the past but I can change my actions today, mm-hmm. and. That's what matters. You can I change think, today. You can't
0: change what you did in the past. Mm-hmm. I think this also relates to some of the cognitive behavioral therapy we are talking about earlier. Um, yes. People keep bringing the past up, oh, I was so terrible. I did this. It was bad. I'm a bad person. And they're always beating themselves up. But, it, you know, it's gone. You don't have to. Once it's over, you don't have to live with it forever. A, you know, It's what I'm doing today that matters. Yeah, you know, I can't change the past, but it's gone.
2: Right. Um, part of the the write up that Jean wrote for this is when I was drinking, I was forever looking forward to something in the future, or I was reciting something from the past. I was never in the present. I was escaping that, mm-hmm. and that I was doing. And, and I believe that's a lot of what what alcoholics and addicts do.
0: I think so. Too. We There's don't pay a...
2: attention to today. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of drowning out the pains, the worries about the future, pains from the past, and not being in today. Right. Okay, let's look at number ten. All love given returns.
2: It, this is a tough one, mm-hmm. and, and to me, the tough part of it for women is is all love given. We can give love, but when it returns, accepting it. Mhm, because again we're we're conditioned to take care of everybody else but us,
0: mhm, So the second part of the statement is, I will learn to know that others love me
2: right. We are lovable we're We're not all bad people <laughs> we well, have made some mm-hmm. bad choices, mhm.
0: sometimes we think we're not lovable, and that doesn't do any good. You know we walk around telling right. ourselves we're not lovable, and that doesn't help anything, so right we Except that we are lovable.
2: Exactly. Okay.
0: Enthusiasm is my daily exercise.
2: Uh, this this last Sunday when I went to um, our one of our meetings here in the Detroit area, um, I we had a woman who left the group for a couple of weeks and came back Sunday and said that she had been out and had relapsed and she had talked about it and what I found kind of interesting was. Afterwards, she walked up to me and she says, Renee, I understand why you guys always come to these meetings, even after all the years that you have sober. I understand now. And it's the enthusiasm, the, the staying plugged into your recovery
0: mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. is is what she wasn't understanding that she, when she, that one particular relapse she learned. And when I sat back and thought about what she had said, it was like, yeah, that's, That's the enthusiasm. That's the being proactive about your recovery instead of reactive.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Number 12, I am a competent woman and I have much to give life.
2: Mm -hmm. Jean says this is one of the final building blocks. Mm Mm-hmm. Of of our recovery, it's mm-hmm. the cornerstone. Um, again, this is something I believe women don't, especially alcoholic women don't. It, they don't place enough self confidence or enough self worth to believe that they are competent. And we mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. And and it I when I first got sober, I took the statement and pasted it around my entire house, <laughs> <laughs> just to keep repeating it.
0: We are so negative against Mm -hmm, mm ourselves. Well, I've shown these uh, these affirmations from Women for Sobriety to many people, and a lot of them said, "I'm going to print that out and hang it on my mirror." Because, uh, I mean, people, I've shown these 2 they really uh, like them a great deal. Um, We're up to number thirteen now. The last one: I am responsible for myself and for my actions.
2: For and, and this is again, this is not just for women. I believe it's for for all of us in, in recovery or alcoholics and addicts. Um, in in order to truly be in recovery, you have to take responsibility for your actions. Yes, and mm-hmm. you can't place conditions, restrictions, or resentments on your recovery, or you're just not going to make it. And to me, part of that is, is taking responsibility.
0: And then for the what sec- you- mm-hmm. I'm sorry? In the second part then it says I am in charge of my mind, my thoughts and my life.
2: Correct. We have the power of choice whether we're going to choose to go out and and kill somebody or if we're going to choose to drink and get into a car and drive it. It's a choice mm-hmm. and you're responsible for that choice.
0: I think we also have a lot of choice, you know, looking at this last statement, I am in charge of my mind, my thoughts, and my life. We have a lot lot of ability to control whether we're thinking bad thoughts, whether we're thinking, oh, I'm depressed, or thinking, I'm happy, life is great, or I'm depressed, life is miserable. You know, we, we actually have a lot of power to choose what sort of thoughts we have in our mind. You know, we can choose to say, you know, I'm anxious, or we can choose to say, I'm not so anxious. And, you know, the more we practice you know, taking charge of our thoughts, I think the better we get at it.
2: Yeah, we do. It, it, it takes 21 days to develop a habit, I believe is what it is, 21 or 22, <laughs> of doing the same thing over and over to, in, to develop the habit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you've spent so many years developing the habit of thinking negatively, it's going to take you at least 21 days to develop the habit of being positive. Okay.
0: What are some of the things you like best about women for sobriety? Why would
2: you the, recommend this?
0: Mm-hmm. Go ahead.
2: For women, I, I recommend it because of the crosstalk that's allowed at the meetings. I think that's very important for women to be able to share and, and learn and ask questions and to be able to be as specific as they can. I, I was. And I know a lot of women who are like that. I can walk into a meeting and say, I'm having this problem. What do you guys suggest? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or we could have a member walk in and say, I'm supposed to attend a family picnic and it's all drinking and I don't know what to do. And I can give them the tool that I use, which is drive yourself that way. You can leave when you're ready. Mm -hmm. That
0: sounds good.
2: You don't have to wait on anybody because you'll have your own car. And when your comfort level has been reached, you politely say it's time for me to go and there's nothing holding you. Okay.
0: Are there people that go to both uh, AA and women's Sobriety?
2: Yes. Yes. Because, unfortunately, we don't have um, that many face-to-face meetings all over the country. We're, we're blessed in, in Metro Detroit in that we do have quite a few here, but it, it, not all women have access to face-to-face meetings.
0: Do you have online groups?
2: Yes, there's online groups and online chats.
0: Do you participate in those yourself?
2: No, I do not, because with working and having two kids, I just I don't have the time in moderating face-to-face groups. I, there's not enough hours in the day. I wish I could.
0: Okay, and um, what what other experiences with women's for sobriety would you like to share with the people out there?
2: There, there is an alternative to the other self help programs out there for us women.
0: So, uh, have you ever checked out any of the others like Smart Recovery or any of those?
2: Uh, the first year and a half of my sobriety, I did AA. Mm-hmm. I went to AA meetings for about a year, a year and a half. And I remember distinctly remember going to see my therapist and saying, there has to be more to life than just this, <laughs> and that's when she told me about Women for Sobriety. And I went mm-hmm. to my first meeting and haven't been back since.
0: Well, that sounds good.
2: Um, I think if you
0: ever look at smart recovery, you might find that there's a lot of compatibility. They're also um, in favor of some positive thinking and changing your thoughts in positive ways. I think that they might be quite compatible with the women for sobriety approach in many
1: ways.
2: Actually, I've run across a couple women that that do both rapid recovery and women for sobriety, and they've said the same thing.
0: Okay, and, uh, well, the, the website is, uh, it's org. The founder is Jean Kirkpatrick. The, some of the books are Goodbye Hangovers, Hello Life, Turnabout. You have some pamphlets, too? Some, I think I saw those on the website the other day.
2: Yeah, they're, you can get those on the website.
0: So what are those about? Are they
2: like it workbooks? gives information about our program. Mm-hmm and how it can help women and how to access either calling the office or the what le- accessing the website to get meeting information
0: okay so once again the uh website is womenforsobriety.org and feel free to look it up a lot of people really like this a lot thank you Renee so much for being our guest tonight
2: thank you sir
0: Okay, I see Stanton is here. I'm going to do a little plug. Our website is Uh, hamsnetwork.org, our free-of-charge support group for safer drinking, reduced drinking, or quitting, and our book is How to Change Your Drinking, A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. Stanton, how are you doing tonight?
3: Ken, I'm great. You know, your program brings me back to the days of when Milton Berle was first on television in the early 50s, and... New York City would notice that traffic was reduced on the nights that he appeared. I think pretty soon we're going to see that same characteristic on your show. And then at the end, they noticed that there would be a tremendous flushing of toilets after the show was over. I think we're getting into that realm pretty soon now. An essential part of uh, American media.
0: (laughs) I hope so. (laughs)
3: Uh, That last lady from uh, Women for Sobriety, she was a real live wire, I'll have to say. Um, I was interested that she went to AA and she felt that it didn't sound like she liked it. Uh, But she didn't say much about that. And uh, it it, it seems that Women for Sobriety takes over some of the same concepts Mm
0: -hmm. that
3: AA has. Is women for sobriety, Ken, let me ask you a technical question, if I may. Is it harm reduction?
0: Um, Well, anything that reduces harm is harm reduction. So quitting, of course, is always part of harm reduction. But women for sobriety, it concentrates on abstinence.
3: um,
0: They're to encourage each other to stay abstinent from alcohol.
3: It's also, uh, you know, she conceives of uh, addiction and alcoholism as a disease. Now, one concept I'm very familiar with. I mean, I'm aware of the book. I wrote the preface for the book A.A. Uh, Horror Stories. Is women who found A.A. extremely sexually predatory. Have you ever heard? Have you ever heard that commentary? Um, yes,
0: I've, I've read the book Twelve Step Horror Stories, and yes, I've heard a lot about Thirteenth Stepping. And that seems to be part of, one part of the reason that Jean Kirkpatrick founded the Women for Sobriety program. Um, Just to go back to what you were saying, I I know Jean Kirkpatrick does, or her books do, buy into the disease concept. So, I mean, she was writing in the 70s. It was, almost everyone thought it was a disease at that time. So, it is built into the Women for Sobriety program, but I don't know how, how really important it is to them.
3: Ah, yeah. I mean, um, I one way is to say you've got you can consider alternatives to addiction treatment. She she had a, I would I was curious why she disliked AA actually. She didn't mention the sexual predator thing, and it's certainly not because of the abstinence and the disease thing. She did emphasize the positives though. I mean, AA meetings I've found. Pretty depressing. You're not really allowed to say many happy things. Most of the meeting is devoted to pretty downer experiences. My, in my time, so I could see where that makes a big shift. I, I, uh, Mark Kern, of course, is an old favorite of mine, an old friend of mine. Uh, He's about my contemporary. I I like to think of him roaming Los Angeles. Obviously, it's a pretty big place. I visited with Mark and his. clients, but he's been involved with this for such a long time and uh, he's got a very reassuring therapy manner. Do you find that, Ken? He he, he seems to be on your... he, He has the makings of a good therapist. There was one comment he made that I wanted to just... There's a school of thought around addiction and sometimes I personally am incorrectly associated with that, which is that addiction doesn't exist. Um, I, I don't believe that. I believe addiction does exist. When I wrote love and addiction or the meaning of addiction, I didn't write them to say that addiction didn't occur. I wrote them to say that addiction was a more complex phenomenon than people thought. It wasn't a simple result of a biological disease state. And, of course, ABC represents that idea. It says, well, there's an activating event, like even having a drink, and then there's a belief associated with it. And as Mark said, people have a whole host of beliefs around being told they have a drinking problem or that they're an alcoholic. So I, I very, I'm very much on board with that. And, of course, Alan Barlett's research showing that alcoholics were more likely to relapse when they thought they were drinking alcohol, whether or not they actually were, uh, is, is a tremendous uh, advance and showing how cognitions affect addictive behavior. But um, when Mark said, well, we don't know what alcoholism or addiction are, I don't, I don't personally think that way so much. I, I'm actually, I was on the advisor, I was an advisor on dsm 4 the diagnostic manual, which Mark is right, doesn't use the word addiction, but dsm 5 is coming back and it is going to be using the word addiction. The word addiction is going to magically as though brought out of a rabbit's hat like a rabbit out of a hat reappear and i find and of course you know I did have a private treatment center, and I find some pretty severely addicted people there. I find that the accumulation of criteria uh in d s m for means something that there are some people who are pretty severely engaged in the behavior and Which brings me to the next topic. Uh, DSM-5 is for the first time going to introduce the concept that something besides alcohol or drugs can be an addiction. I wrote a Psychology Today blog about that today. And their concept is compulsive gambling can be an addiction. That is such a colossal change in outlook to now consider that a non-substance-involved activity can be addictive. And, of course, it's arbitrary that they pick gambling. We could include sex in there. We could include food in there. We could include video in there, video games, for example. Certainly, you know, video pornography. And so it's really a remarkable change, and I don't believe DSM-5 and its founder creators are capable of comprehending all of the consequences. But one consequence I'd like to talk about just now is harm reduction. There are many of those activities cannot be eliminated. Eating and sex being two of them. And the and the effort to eliminate eating, of course, is a separate disease. Abstinence with eating pr- produces its own disease state. And so, ironically, in a way that they haven't fully conceived. Shifting in this direction is really going to have major implications for harm reduction. Um, When we, you know, we just don't have the same sense, even with gambling, that people need to totally desist this activity. It's as though, on the one hand, we say, well, yes, we believe that gambling can be addictive. Yes, we believe that video games can be addictive. But then when you sort of dig beneath that, people say, well... Yes, but it's not, like, really, like drugs, like heroin, for God's sake. And if if we go back to my book, Love and Addiction, my whole purpose, almost, in relating relationship addiction to substance addiction was to recast the notion of addiction into some terms and some activity that people were more familiar with and more comfortable in thinking in new ways about. Because people could think about a destructive relationship begin to conceive of that as addiction, and hopefully that would give them a whole new understanding of what addiction is. And we've slowly begun on that path. DSM-5 isn't scheduled to come out until May 2013, so it's still on the drawing board. But in a remarkable way, at this late date, I mean, people, well, when I wrote Love and Addiction, I would talk to psychiatrists and say, of course we know what addiction means. At this late date, we're still shifting... In large, remarkable and consequential ways What we actually mean When we say addiction And it's going to have major implications For harm reduction So Ken, as we do this show Over the next 10, 20, 30, you know Through 50 years I'm expecting major upheavals um, As I said Until we become like the old Milton Berle show And everybody's listening to us To see which way the wind blows So I hope you're prepared for it, stardom and all that, Ken.
0: Well, I'm prepared for major upheaval
3: in the field.
0: Stardom, I wouldn't mind. I could deal with that, I think.
3: I'm glad you're ready for it, Ken. Well, I better sign off. I know you have to give a a cheerful goodbye to your uh, legions of listeners. And uh, thanks so much for – I know it's a high point of my week. Thanks so much for inviting me into their living rooms and households. And we'll see you again next week, Ken.
0: Okay, see you next week, Stanton. Thanks for closing. And next week, our guests will be, we have representatives from Insight, Vancouver Safe Injection Facility, and then Pat Denning, one of our great old-timers, one of the most important people in harm reduction, will be here. Thank you, everyone, and good night.